back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. I'm Steffi Albiero, and I'm here with my boy, my guy, about to hop into some fantasy goodness, Alex Lott. How you doing today, brother? Doing really well, Steph. Other than the guy mowing the lawn outside, trying to screw up our audio, it's been a pretty good day. So um, now that we got him to shut off his weed whacker, I'm ready to get into some some good takes today. Today, we're actually flipping the script a little bit. We've been hyping up a lot of guys lately, and today we're talking about some ADP fades. Um, not players that we necessarily hate or we think are going to be bust, but we just don't really like uh, where they're being drafted, and we're probably staying away from this season in fantasy. So super excited to get yeah, into Yeah, finally, we're, we're flipping the script here. I know we've been talking about our deep sleepers, our values, our mid-round league winners. It's too fun to jump on every single hype train out there, but um, we got to throw some warning signs out there as well. I'm ready for it, man. Before we jump into it, guys, if you like what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button on YouTube, making a huge push right now. They're coming in day after day, so we really appreciate you guys joining this journey with us. If you want to interact with us, ask us your fantasy questions or trade questions, whatever it might be, uh, you can, you know, of course, put them in the YouTube comments, but also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, putting out graphics, threads, other content on there. And I think we're ready to jump into it here, Alex. Our ADP fades of the 2020 preseason. I'll let you start it off. All right, Steph. So for my first ADP fade, I'm going to go with Chris Carson for the Seattle Seahawks. And he was a little bit hyped up going into last season, and he paid off. He was the running back 12 in full PPR formats. This year, he has dropped back to the running back 18. But for some reason, every single mock draft I've done this offseason, I don't think I've ended up with Chris Carson one time. And part of that might be in my head. I know he's recovering from that hip injury. He's expected to be at full strength when the season starts. But with this weird year where um, we haven't really had as much visibility to what players are doing in the offseason, you know, they say he's going to be at full strength, but who really knows? Um, so Chris Carson for me... As the RB18, I just can't quite get on board. And part of the reason is the receiving ability that he has. I don't think it's very high. Last season, he had 37 receptions and two receiving touchdowns, which is actually nothing crazy for the running back position. But he's not even really a mediocre pass catcher. So I expect that number to come down. They bring in DJ Dallas in the draft in the fourth round. They bring in Carlos Hyde in free agency as well, which I know Rashad Penny um, is probably going to miss a good chunk of the season. So maybe drafting Dallas, bringing in Carlos Hyde is just adding depth to that running back room. But either way, the fact that they're spending capital on these guys concerns me about that backfield. It concerns me about what they actually believe um, in Chris Carson and Rashad Penny and their health. Um, so for me, I think DJ Dallas comes in, might chip into some of that receiving work right away. Carlos Hyde over in a thousand yard rusher last season he might vulture some touchdowns and some carries as well. Last season, Chris Carson was fifth in the NFL in carries with 278, which is awesome. And if he repeats as, you know, 275 plus carries, I think Carson's going to return value at that RB18. I just don't know that he's going to get there. And for me, I, I do see a world where this run heavy Seahawks offense continues to feed Chris Carson as their feature back. Maybe he does get close to the reception number. He, he gets the, you know, seven or eight touchdowns again this season, and he's a top 15 running back. That's in the realm of possibility. I'm not saying it's 
you know, impossible for that to happen. But for me, I just like guys around his ADP way more than I like him. I'm going to take Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon around his ADP every single time. I just love their upside um, and their chance of being fantasy relevant at that draft level at the running back position this season. Um, and I might even take a shot on Jonathan Taylor over a guy like Chris Carson. I think the upside is huge for Taylor. And Carson, I could really see it going either way. So, look, I don't necessarily hate Carson as a player, but there's just a lot of things in Seattle and some things they've done this offseason in the running back room that kind of sketch me out with that offense. I don't really know what it's going to look like. We're hearing all these things like Russell Wilson could finally throw the ball 550 plus times this year. So, um, I don't know. I, I'm out on Carson. If I'm wrong on him, I'm happy to be wrong about him, but I'm just probably not going to have him on a lot of my teams. You know, there's two big points that every single, you know, elite, you know, a guy who could finish his top five at the running back position needs to have. And one is an elite offensive line and the other is pass catching volume. And I don't know if Carson can hit either of those. So, you know, I, I agree with you to a point. I'm probably a little bit higher on him than you are. Uh, and that's reflected in our rankings. You guys can check that out at doublemovesports.com. We have all of our rankings in there for every single position. Uh, but I, I'm with you to a degree. You know, I would take, I think, a Melvin Gordon over Chris Carson. You know, the biggest thing for Carson is, you know, like you said, the health uh, and then the volume. I mean, when he gets the volume, he's good. Uh, he's, a, he's a physical, you know, uh, sight yeah, to behold when he's on the field. He looks fantastic, breaking off big runs here. But, yeah, the health has been a concern. That's kind of always been his thing. Everybody has question marks in that RB2 tier. I even look at a guy like, you know, James Conner there as well. I kind of relate to him to Carson, um, but I'm with you. I think there are safer options, and I'd probably look the other way at that point. You know, maybe wait a round or two and grab Jonathan Taylor there. So I don't think this is like a death sentence for him in, in any way. I don't know. He, he has the hip issue, and he's had back issues in the past. He's just... I just don't trust him to stay on the field for 16 games. And if he falls a couple rounds, and maybe if everyone else in my league is out on Chris Carson as well, I'm happy to take him as a value, maybe a round or two later than he's going. RB18 is just too early for me. If he was, I have him at 27, but if he was sitting there as the 23rd or 24th running back off the board, I might consider taking him at that point. But he's just not a player I'm finding myself ending up with with any mock drafts so far this season. Um, so, Steph, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to you for your first ADP fade of 2020 on today's show. So my first one, it's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. It is Cooper Cup. Uh, right now his ADP is at the wide receiver 15 in PPR. And that's, as we talk PPR, pretty much everything on this channel. So keep that in mind. But the wide receiver 15 is, is just scary to me. And it's, it's really scary because of the amount of snaps and usage that Cup was seeing in the 12 personnel scheme that Sean McVay switched to after their bye week last season, Cup went from 25% target share to 15%. His snap count plummeted. And then we saw a guy you really like, Alex, in Tyler Higby. He fully emerged and he was getting design looks underneath as well as usage in the red zone that Cup was getting before. You know, guys, go check out on our YouTube channel. Alex did a fantastic film breakdown of Tyler Higby. A lot to like. He was getting these really interesting screens uh, and was being used in a lot of different ways. But Cooper Cups, you know, 22% of his fantasy points came from his 10 touchdowns. That was, you know, second among wide receivers last year. I'm expecting that number to come down with the Rams O-line issues. I don't know if I see the, the touchdown opportunity improving at all. Goff had his struggles in 2019 behind an O-line that was actually number one in pass blocking per football outsiders. The running game. Really? Yeah, it actually blew my mind. Where they really struggled was in run blocking. Uh, and, and the run game could struggle with that O-line. They were 19th in run blocking 
a split could end wow. up occurring here, which is between the you know the three okay but not great running backs. Uh, that that could lead to issues moving the ball down the field. Maybe if Cam Akers isn't the guy that we all expect him to be or want him to be, that could be, even cause more issues for this Rams offense. And lastly here, a very scary thing is the reception perception write-up that Matt Harmon uh, did on Cup. So Cup has never finished above the 12th percentile. 12th percentile. That, that's out of 100 percentiles. He's 12th percentile against man <laughs> or press coverage. Cup faced press coverage on less than 10% of his routes. That's the lowest ever recorded. And Cup just can't play on the wow. outside. He's a pure slot receiver. He eats against zone coverage. But if you put him in press, if you man up on him, it's hard for him to get separation. So give me Robert Woods, his uh, his other wide receiver uh, classmate there in LA. Give me Adam Thielen, Calvin Ridley, even Cortland Sutton, or maybe even DJ Chark over Cooper Cup in 2020 it's just really hard for me to take him at wide receiver 15 uh, seeing how the wheels could fall off like they did at the end of 2019 yeah no i totally love that take cooper cup i love the take that his adp might be a little bit rich right now and something we've faced in a lot of mock drafts so far is this decision between cooper cup and robert woods and almost every single time i find myself taking robert woods out of that pair because i just think woods is a better receiver as far as standalone value goes. Like, Steph, you laid it out perfectly. Cup is very dependent on how the offense uses him, um, on playing against zone coverage, things like that. He was very touchdown dependent last season. I mean, Robert Woods, you know he's going to get you those five or six receptions for 50 or 60 yards a week. He even has the ability to take the top off and have those massive 10 reception, 100-yard, you know, two touchdown games. We've seen that from Robert Woods before. And I'm with you. That Cooper Cup at wide receiver 15 might be a little bit too high. I... I find myself concerned if Cooper Cup is my wide receiver one, um, but to take him at wide receiver 15 is, is telling me that he is one of the top wide receiver twos on the board. And this year when there are so many players in that same tier, I don't know, like the Tyler Lockett, DJ Shark tier, Steph, what players in that area, I'll pull it up for us here, would you rather have um, than Cooper Cup? We'll start it off with DJ Shark and Tyler Lockett. Would you take both of those guys over Cup? I think I would. They, to me, present more upside, and they're, they're the clear ones on their respective rosters. What about a guy we'll talk about a little bit later, A.J. Brown? That's an interesting one. At that point, to me, it comes down to roster construction. I'd probably be more just the way that I play fantasy. I'd, I'd probably go with A.J. Brown in that situation just to swing for the fences. Okay, last one. How about Calvin Ridley? A lot of people are super high on Ridley this season. Cup, we've seen it, seen it before. Who are you taking, Ridley or Cup? I'm taking Ridley there. I, I've, I've presented it here on the show. I think Ridley could actually finish as a wide receiver one. Could be like a Mike Evans, Chris Godwin situation in Atlanta this year, uh, just like those two guys were in 2019. So I think Julio and Ridley are both going to be wide receiver ones, or at least it's very possible. Uh, Ridley should absolutely eat, assuming good health and, and the volume remaining constant in Atlanta. Absolutely. And right now I'm looking at my rankings. I have Cup as a mid-tier wide receiver too. So he's in my top 20. Um, I have a couple guys behind him. Like, I have Woods behind him. I have DJ Chark behind him and Lockett behind him, which is actually surprising for me. I might need to take a look at my rankings and, and either bump Cup down or bump those guys up. But it's another thing to be said. Like, rankings should not dictate the way you draft. Like, you said it. Cup, um, it all depends on roster construction when you're picking between a guy like that or A.J. Brown. You can't just look at rankings. You can't just look at what the experts are saying and players in order when you're drafting your team. You have to take things into account like boom-bust potential, consistency, risk, all that stuff. So a lot of these guys we talked about, I think Chark, Lockett, um, Robert Woods, and Calvin Ridley. Uh, I'd probably take Chark, 
Lockett and Woods over Cooper Cup, I think I would still take Cup over Ridley or A.J. Brown. But um, just so many players in that tier. If Cup falls, and I'm sure he will in drafts, he could end up being a value if he falls to like the wide receiver 20 or something like that. You know, one thing with Cup too, you know, you're relying so much on the touchdowns. 20% of his points last year, and even before that, he was just a touchdown machine. If that goes away, and that's a really hard thing to project, and I think that's why Cup is a little bit higher in everybody's rankings than we probably should have him. That's why he's the wide receiver 15 in there. Uh, it's because you, you don't know. Like it's We look at everything that they've done up to this point, and we can say, oh, yeah, Cup's going to get you know eight-plus touchdowns, but is that really going to be the case when touchdowns are just so difficult to project? I think he'll have his games, but just not one I'm willing to pull the trigger on that early. But, Alex, let's switch it over here. Give me your second ADP fade of 2020. So a guy we just talked about, I mean, speaking of touchdown dependency, big play <laughs> dependency, my next fade is AJ Brown at wide receiver 16. And I've talked about this on the show before, and I've actually gotten a decent amount of backlash for this one, a lot of hate, but I just can't get in on AJ Brown this year. I cannot get in on AJ Brown this year. I think he's an incredibly talented player. He's going right now as the wide receiver 16, and for full disclosure, I think there's a pretty good chance he ends up in the top 20 wide receivers, but the way that's going to come with big weeks and down weeks and up weeks and down weeks, I'm just not willing to ride that roller coaster. Think about Amari Cooper a few years back, the way he'd break out for 35 points and then do nothing for three weeks in a row. I think that's in the realm of possibility for A.J. Brown this year. He was very effective last season, and the volume should go up, so I will give him that. Um, the snap should go up as well. He really didn't get fully worked in into this offense until about halfway through the year. But there's just so many metrics in this Titans offense that the efficiency screams negative regression. Like maybe there's a chance this offense is actually that efficient and is just going to continue. Um, I give that maybe 5% chance of being true. The much more likely outcome is that even if they're good, they're going to come back um, to earth. So let me just read off some stats that I expect to change here. So A.J. Brown was second in the NFL in yards per catch. He had nine total touchdowns. He had over 20 yards per catch. Um, I, I think he's a big play guy. He should still be somewhere between 15 and 20 yards, but there's just no way. I don't want to say no way. It's unlikely he has over 20 yards of catch again this season. The Titans as a whole um, were first in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage. 77% of the time in the red zone, they scored a touchdown. Just for context, the Chiefs' uh, touchdown percentage in the red zone was 60, and the Titans were at 77%. And this is just a low-volume offense overall. Tannehill was incredibly efficient as well. I won't go into a lot of his numbers. The passer rating, um, the yards per attempt were through the roof. They were historical, like top 10 of all time. Um, but this offense was low-volume. They were 30th in plays per game. I think that's always concerning for a receiver. When you're just not getting a lot of plays, not a lot of opportunity, even if you are the wide receiver one, and for me, the playoff stretch just speaks volumes to what we could see from A.J. Brown during certain stretches of time. So there could be one week where A.J. Brown goes for you know 150 yards and two touchdowns. But if you look at the playoff run, they were winning games too. First game against New England, he had one catch for four yards in a win. Second game against Baltimore, one catch for nine yards in a win. Against Kansas City, this was a loss, but this is against a high-flying offense. He had three catches for 51 yards. Sheesh. That doesn't kill you, but that's eight fantasy points. And that's three games in a row when the Titans are needing to win games that they're focusing on feeding Derrick Henry. They have a blueprint of how they want to play. They play strong defense, very consistent, stable offense, and they might try to take you over the top with A.J. Brown once they lull you to sleep with Derrick Henry up the middle about 30 times. So for me, I have no doubt A.J. Brown's going to have big games in those weeks. I'm just going to have to give it up, and hopefully I'm not playing against A.J. Brown in those weeks because they will happen. But I just – for a guy who's so dependent on big plays, 
Like, I think they're like, think about a guy. This is going to blow some minds here, but he could easily be Mike Williams this season. Like Mike Williams last oh. year was a terrible fantasy asset, right? Well, guess what? Mike Williams last year had more targets than AJ Brown. He had, he was the only other player above 20 yards per catch. He just had two touchdowns instead of the nine from AJ Brown. AJ Brown had eight receiving and one rushing. So Mike Williams actually put up very similar numbers. He was almost the same in receptions, targets, yards, yards per catch. He just didn't get the touchdowns. And Mike Williams was garbage last year. So the point is, I'm not saying Mike Williams is going to be near A.J. Brown or above A.J. Brown. But the point is, if you're a downfield scoring threat like A.J. Brown is, if all of a sudden the touchdowns aren't there, even if the incredible efficiency, the yards per catch is up, you're going to disappoint. And I don't think it's going to be that extreme, but I just wanted to illustrate like these type of players are so dependent on touchdowns. When they don't happen, you're pretty much useless in fantasy. So, again, I think he could finish as a top 20 wide receiver because of the ups and downs. But I would just rather have all the guys in that tier, Ridley, Woods, Lockett, Chark, um, just for their consistency this season. Yeah, I think really the the takeaway, I mean, he's a fringe wide receiver too, maybe a low-end wide receiver too with upside week to week but it's like you can wait two or three rounds and get almost the same amount of upside i mean look at like a hollywood brown even a marvin jones if you want to grab more of a boom bust guy that you don't have to pay up for so i'm with will you on fuller the AHA for brown. crying out loud <laughs> i'm you know i'm not touching will fuller with a thousand he could be there in the last but... round and i wouldn't him. <laughs> you know i'm not touching him but you know to, to your point you know we don't need to be taking a guy who's that boom bust that you're going to rely upon those big weeks for Granted, I do think A.J. Brown's volume will go up just because he emerged For towards sure. the end of last year, and I don't think they're going to move away from him. But even then, it's still you know a crapshoot when you're looking at, you know let's say best case scenario, he's at 70 receptions. Uh, you're still asking for a lot of touchdowns there for him to deliver on that ADP. Uh, but Alex, let's play a quick game here. Let's say tomorrow you wake up and breaking news, the Tennessee Titans have signed Robert Woods or let's say Mike Evans. How far would A.J. Brown fall on your draft board? Would he still be a wide receiver too? No, he would be. <laughs> I mean, where's Corey Davis going? And put him about 10 spots ahead of that. Because <laughs> he's just better. <laughs> well, the thing is, that's essentially the same situation that we're looking at for Brown's 2019 classmate, D.K. Metcalf, in Seattle with Tyler Lockett there. Metcalf is currently going as the wide receiver 21 it pains me to make this take because I love DK, especially in Dynasty. I was actually making uh, some offers yesterday for him with your brother in our Dynasty League, Alex. <laughs> but I, I do think the upside is 100% there. There's just way too much risk at this ADP of wide receiver 21. I have been my rankings at wide receiver 26. We think of how DK turned it on. He blew up towards the end of the year. And he did have a breakout. But until Lockett is gone and the Seahawks really do decide to throw the ball more, there won't be enough to go around for Metcalf. The Seahawks had the 10th fewest pass attempts last year. They were dead last in pass attempts in 2018. Lockett finishes the wide receiver 13 last year. And even if things go right for DK, let's say Lockett regresses, DK continues to improve. I don't see either of these guys then being able to find the volume unless Russell Wilson's going to be able to throw the ball 570 plus times, which would be a massive jump up for them. Add in the Greg Olson signing. Will Disley is back healthy. Jacob Hollister is still there at tight end and and all of those guys have had historically high usage from Russell Wilson in the red zone so you're asking for a lot to go right here for Metcalf at his ADP I'd feel much more secure drafting Tyler Lockett who's one spot behind him at the wide receiver 22 per, is he really uh, 
per, per fantasy pros ADP, he is at the wide Ooh, receiver 22, which is crazy. All day. Yeah. Other guys I would take there are, you know, guy we keep talking about, Robert Woods. I'd even look at Terry McLaurin and Devontae Parker at that same range. Metcalf finishes the wide receiver 33 last season with Lockett and the starting tight ends missing time, dealing with injury. Again, I love the upside for Metcalf, but at wide receiver 21, I think there are safer players with just as much upside. Keep your eyes on Metcalf because there is a world where he has a meteoric rise, but it's just not likely enough for me to invest in him in you know fourth, fifth round. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you on fading his ADP. I don't find myself ending up with Metcalf very often because, like you said, if, if Tyler Lockett's on the board with Metcalf, I'm going to take Tyler Lockett every single time. I think people just like the new shiny toys, and Metcalf is a freak athlete, yep. so people get excited about that kind of thing. But it is very similar to A.J. Brown, but I, I don't know. I I think there is plenty of volume to go around for Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf to both succeed in this offense. For reference, like the Titans threw the ball 448 times last year. The Seahawks threw it 517 times. So that volume isn't a ton, but it's still 67, you know, 70 more times um, than the Titans threw the ball. So I think there will be a little bit more volume in Seattle. The quarterback is better in Russell Wilson. And we've heard Russell Wilson start to get a little bit chirpy about wanting to throw the ball more. He sees what Mahomes is doing in Kansas City. And I would not be surprised if we saw Russell Wilson throw it at least 550 times this year with those weapons in Seattle. It's back to the Chris Carson point. If they start throwing the ball more and Chris Carson's not going to get 275 plus carries, he's going to be a fade as well. So I, I'm with you that DK Metcalf is a player that I haven't found myself drafting very often. And there's other guys in his tier I'd rather have. But I do think there's a world where both DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can both return on that ADP. You know, take it for what you will, but I just think Russell Wilson can support two good wide receivers. I think he can. I think it's just going to be a crapshoot week unlikely. to week on if yeah. you want to start him or not. And and then it's tough. I mean, you're asking a lot to go right here. You're asking for all these different things to fall his way. Uh, when I just I don't see a strong likelihood that all of those things are going to go right for Metcalf. Maybe I'm wrong here, and I'm eating my words. Uh, you know, in in ten months from now, and Metcalf is the guy and he's going to be, you know, a top 12 guy that we draft. Like Metcalf is that good physically. Like his upside is just insane. There's not many guys, maybe AJ Brown's one of those other ones that could go toe to toe with him from an upside standpoint, but there's just, there's just too much risk of this ADP. Why not give me a Robert Woods or Terry McLaurin who still has that same upside to take over. They're the clear one on their team. Like Terry McLaurin and Devonte Parker are the clear ones, alpha dogs in that wide receiver course. So with, Metcalf fighting there with Lockett. I just, I don't see it. A lot of things have to fall his way. I don't feel comfortable with that at wide receiver 21 overall. Totally fair. So we're going to go ahead and jump ahead to my next ADP fade. We're changing gears here. We're going to look at the tight end position. I'm going with Hunter Henry on the LA Chargers. I, man, I can't believe that Hunter Henry is still going as the tight end seven in drafts. He's actually been available in a lot of mock drafts pretty late when I'm trying to punt the tight end position, and I still find myself avoiding Hunter Henry. He finished as the tight end eight last season, and the situation got way worse for the Chargers and, and for Hunter Henry, but yet now he's tight end seven in ADP. So he literally goes from Phillip Rivers and 591 pass attempts in this offense last season to Tyrod Taylor, whose career high in pass attempts for a season is 436. So. <laughs> Yes, Justin Herbert is there. We don't really know how this quarterback situation is going to break out. I'm guessing it's going to be some sort of hybrid between starts from Tyrod and Justin Herbert throughout the season. 
But if Tyrod Taylor's the starter and he's only throwing the ball 20, 25 times a game, there's just not a lot of upside for Hunter Henry. It's going to be a lower volume offense as a whole. The touchdown upside is going to come down. And they still have Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams to get the ball to. So I think personally the best thing that could happen for Hunter Henry in fantasy is Justin Herbert getting the reins of this offense early and them saying, hey, you got a strong arm. Get out there, sling the ball, learn from your mistakes. And they kind of use this year as a wash just to throw Justin Herbert in there to learn, and maybe he'll accelerate a little bit faster. So even if Herbert's not efficient and good for the Chargers, I think from a volume perspective and a willingness to throw the ball down the field, maybe they're trailing in games and he's just coming from behind, that could maybe be the best thing to happen to Hunter Henry because with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, I just don't really see the upside there. And there are so many guys in drafts I like way better than Hunter Henry. Like right now, Tyler Higby, Hayden Hurst, Austin Hooper, all of these guys are going later than Hunter Henry. And I'll take all of them over him in a heartbeat. Honestly, with a guy like Higby, maybe even Hayden Hurst, I think by the time the season starts, their ADP is probably going to jump ahead of Hunter Henry. Those guys seem like they're picking up a lot of hype and a lot of steam right now. I hope not because I, as you guys know, I love Tyler Higby and Hayden Hurst and I want to get them in a lot of places, but um, I just can't get in on Hunter Henry. And if, if I'm going to take... Henry, even if he falls to a value, I would still much rather wait and really punt the tight end position all the way to the end of drafts and end up with a player like Jack Doyle, Blake Jarwin, TJ Hawkinson, one of these guys with, you know, maybe Doyle doesn't have the upside, but I think Jarwin and Hawkinson sure do. And and Doyle gives me, I think, just as good of a chance to put in a top 12 performance as Hunter Henry this year. So um, on top of that, I'll, I'll say one more thing about Hunter Henry. He has dealt with injuries throughout his career. He's missed 23 games in just four NFL seasons, so he can't seem to stay on the field. And look, if, if Henry can stay healthy for the full season, I think he's a top 10 tight end for sure. But I don't see the upside being there. I see a lot of other names there I like a lot more. So that's why I'm fading Hunter Henry. Uh, yeah, you know, the thing that when we get into to, you know real drafts, you're there. It's a... Uh... You know, it's a Saturday afternoon, you're, you know, two and a half hours into a draft and Hunter Henry's sitting there on the board with, you know, look at like Evan Ingram, who typically falls too. These are these like kind of upside plays, but injury risk tight ends. And just at my tight end position, I don't need that. I, I want more of that upside plus consistency that a Hurst can give me, that even a Jared Cook can get me, that I can wait a few rounds and, you know, continue to build up the running back and wide receiver depth. Though I will say Henry is going to fall in a lot of drafts. Uh, do you have anything in mind, Alex, if, if you see him in a certain round, are you going to pull the trigger on him or are you just fully fading him for other options regardless? Man, no. I, I think because there's so much value at the position, I haven't drafted at one time. Like if Hunter Henry's there in the 12th round and I'm deciding between Henry or a Doyle, Jarwin or Hawkinson, I'll probably go ahead and take Hunter Henry. But even a guy like Austin Hooper, he's falling. I've gotten Austin Hooper in the 12th, 13th round. And I like the upside on Hooper more than Hunter Henry this season. So it's tough because I think Henry can be a value, but there's just so much value there. I've, I've found it really hard to pull the trigger on, on drafting Henry. Well, you foreshadowed it right there. My next fade, since we're talking about tight ends here, it actually is Austin Hooper. Uh, right now he's going at the tight end 12. I think Hooper's really good, but I just can't pull the trigger at, at this ADP. Not because I don't think he can finish at tight end 12, but he just has so little upside for me. Tight end 12 is not asking a lot. Do you know who the tight end 12 was last year? Yeah, Jason Witten was the tight end 12 last yeah. year. I mean, that's, that's not something yeah. I really want on my roster. I'd rather just stream the position altogether. But give me Jared Cook, Noah Fant, Gesicki, all over Hooper in any draft. And I can grab them around later, maybe, and take, like you said, a Jarwin or a Johnny Smith a couple rounds later, uh, even further than that. And, and it's for a number of reasons here on Hooper. 
Uh, the first one is David Njoku still there. I know he wants to trade. He wants to be the, you know, the, the top dog in the tight end room wherever he's at. But Njoku's still there, and until he gets moved, uh, I, I'm seeing you know, some ambiguity in terms of which tight end is going to be actually be getting most of the receptions uh, in on that Browns team. The roster moves and the narratives so far in Cleveland have all been about how Kevin Stefanski wants to run his old Vikings offense, which is extremely run heavy, here with the Browns. And that, to me, is a horrible sign for Hooper because that means you're essentially getting Kyle Rudolph, who's been a streamer at best over the last few seasons. I will concede and say that Hooper may get some red zone usage and a few targets a game, but it's tough seeing you know, a huge amount of volume being there for the Browns tight ends this year, uh, especially if we take into account how every other weapon in Cleveland um, you know, may deliver on their ADP. So we have Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They're both going to get theirs in the end zone. You have OBJ and Jarvis Landry who are going to command their volume too. And how many scores will there even be in Cleveland in year one with a new head coach, a new scheme, a new GM, a shortened offseason? I just don't see a chance that Hooper is a player that you're happy with in the 10th or 11th rounds of your draft when there's so many good high-value handcuffs and quarterbacks in those rounds. And, and other good tight ends on the board. Hooper had 75 receptions, 790 yards, and six touchdowns in 13 games last season. He finishes the tight end six with a Falcons team that had Matt Ryan throwing the ball most in the league by far. So let's just be generous here. I'm going to go like a best case scenario. Let's say everything goes perfectly for Hooper in Cleveland. We'll give him the six touchdowns from last year. Let's say he goes from 75 receptions with a, a slight dip with Baker. And let's say he gets 60. At that point, he's still a fringe tight end 10 in PPR. So it's tough to see a world where Hooper gets anywhere near where he was last year. And so for me, that means his ADP is a little high if we're going to draft Hooper. At it. it essentially means we're drafting him at his ceiling, which isn't even a one uh, that I want on my fantasy team. So I'm, I'm fading Hooper. Don't have him in a lot of places. Maybe he's one of those ones, like you said here with uh, your guy Henry, like if he falls extremely far, maybe I'll look at him then. But uh, as it stands right now, I'm not touching Hooper at his ADP. I don't know, man. I mean, the Browns signed this player, Austin Hooper. This guy, this guy, Austin Hooper, they signed him to a four-year, $42 million deal. Makes him the highest paid tight end in the league, I think, until Hunter Henry went on the tag. But, like, Austin Hooper is not a blocking tight end, so I know they're not shelling out $42 million to to watch this guy block. So, like, I just can't imagine the Browns giving Austin Hooper this contract if they're not at least going to utilize him in, so, in some way in this offense. And I do agree with you that Hooper's success in Atlanta was more of a product of the system than um, Hooper's talent and ability compared to other tight ends in the league. Like, I think Hayden Hurst is going to go in and have a better year than Hooper um, in that Atlanta system that Hooper was in before. So I get what you're saying from that perspective. But to me, like, tight end 12 is almost free in drafts. And right now I have Austin Hooper as my tight end eight. So when I'm finding myself really punting the tight end position to the end of drafts, I love scooping up Hooper late. And maybe I've said this before, I'm a fan of drafting two tight ends. And if I'm going to really fade the position, I'll take Austin Hooper late because I know he's going to get involved. They would not pay him that money if he's not at least going to be consistent. And maybe it's not going to take the top off for your team, but I'll draft Hooper and then a round or two later, I'll take a real flyer on Blake Jarwin um, or TJ Hawkinson or Johnny Smith or Gusecki or whichever one of those guys is available at the end of drafts. 
I will take Hooper for some stability at the position because you could end up drafting a Mike Kosicki. You could end up drafting a Noah Fan, any of those guys, and they could just suck. They could literally be putting up duds week after week where Austin Hooper, no, he's not going to win you your week, but he's probably not going to lose it. And I'm fine to, to pair a guy like that with a high upside guy. So if the high upside guy hits and he's the Mark Andrews or the Darren Waller of this year, I might have just won my league, but I'm not putting the tight end position in jeopardy, you know, just taking a guy who sucks and then having to play the waiver wire the rest of the year. So um, it can be tough on the waivers, and, and sometimes you will find a tight end there early that has value. But I feel like every single season, it's so hard to find value at the tight end position. And there's only, it's like musical chairs. There's only so many startable tight ends to go around, and there's more teams than there are tight ends. So I think Hooper is one of the guys you can plug in and, and is going to be really solid for you, especially at tight end 12. That does not seem rich to me. It may not be rich. I just don't see him over delivering on that. And I want guys who can over deliver relative to their ADP. I think we're drafting right now Hooper at his ceiling. Like what you're saying, like let's say everything does go right, he's still right on the fringe of a top 10 tight end. I'd rather just stream the position at that point week to week or grab a, you know, a John New Smith, somebody with a ton of upside that I know can take me over the top. You're not going to win your league from the tight end position. You know, maybe Hooper does give you a higher floor than most tight ends, and that's enough for some people. That's just not what I'm looking for personally on draft day. Maybe that's somebody I look to trade for later on, throw in as a piece in a deal. Um, but not one that I'm really excited about. There's nothing about Austin Hooper that really gets me going um, when I'm looking at him on these draft boards, looking at his ADP and where That's he's fair. at. But hey, hey, we'll uh, we'll agree to disagree on this one. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Hooper. I just, you know, like last year too, maybe I'm getting a little bit of, um, you know, flashback to last year with Cleveland where every single weapon on this offense was extremely hyped up. We were ready for the Njoku breakout too. And it's just like, all these guys can't deliver on their ADP unless the Browns are just going to be insane this year. Um, and there's there's a long way that the Browns need to go. I'm a Browns fan, uh, and so I hope they do really well. But I, it's hard for me to see I'm them. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I must. This must be punishment for something I did in a past life to be a Browns fan. But it is what it is. Uh, Alex, give me your next ADP fade here. All right, my last fade on today's show is going to be Leonard Fournette of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dang. Right now he's going as the RB16, which doesn't seem that expensive considering he was the RB7 last season with only three rushing touchdowns. So for me, the big reason I'm fading Leonard Fournette is I just see a lot of risk in Fournette. You're having to draft him in the third round to get him, and – like the Jaguars, I don't expect them to be good. I don't think anyone really expects them to be that good this season. I expect them to trail a lot. And so I don't see a lot of upside from Fournette this year, especially because last season, a lot of the upside we did see from Fournette was because he over-indexed in the receiving game. He's not a receiving back. He's never been a receiving back. And last season, he had 76 receptions, which more than doubled his career high. Uh, I think that was an extreme outlier. There was just nobody else there in Jacksonville. It was Leonard Fournette and Ryquell Armstead in the backfield. So they had to throw the ball to the running back. When they did, he happened to be on the field. He was an absolute workhorse last season. I do not expect that to be the case this year. The Jaguars don't seem like they like Leonard Fournette very much, quite frankly. He um, is going into the last year of his contract. They declined his fifth-year option. So this will be his last year in Jacksonville. Maybe a piece of that is like you think, oh, it's last his last year. They're going to suck. Maybe they'll just run him into the ground at the running back position. Um, but I, I don't think they like him very much as a player, and they definitely don't want to pay him. So they could still trade or cut him before the season, which would obviously be very detrimental to his value. I don't know a team he could go to that would increase his value at this point, this close to the year. 
Um, and they also brought in pass catching running back Chris Thompson, which is really my biggest concern with Fournette. The reason he had so much value last season was because of those 76 receptions. Now you bring in pass catching running back Chris Thompson, who's probably going to take at least half of those. And I expect Fournette to be much closer to 30 to 40 receptions this season, which, yes, maybe the touchdowns go up. He only had three last year. But I think the the subtraction of the receiving work is going to have a much bigger impact than the addition of potential touchdowns this year. So at running back 16, Fournette's right in that range with Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon. And I find myself taking those guys every single time. I know Todd Gurley is someone I always shoot for in that same area. And if Gurley's gone and I'm deciding between like Le'Veon, Melvin Gordon, or Fournette, I I usually find myself just taking a wide receiver and waiting to see which one gets back to me in the next round. Now, if Fournette falls to the fourth round or the fifth round, I'm willing to take the flyer on him. But as someone who's going to be, you know, a third round pick, potentially my um, RB2 or maybe even my RB1 if I go receiver or tight end heavy early, I just can't trust Fournette in this offense. There's just too many risks. He also has missed a lot of time in his career. He stayed almost fully healthy last season, and we almost forget how worried we were about his injuries the year before. He's missed 12 games in just three seasons. So, so many question marks with Fournette and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I just can't find myself drafting someone on this bad of a team and expecting to win in fantasy. I get it, man. I I totally get it. I actually think Fournette's ADP there is right where he should be. Um, you know, I, I, again, I totally get what you're saying. You know, granted, Chris Thompson doesn't scare me all too much. He's had his own health problems. And what we know about Fournette, I mean, he's finished as a, a top 10 running back. Uh, 2018, he was hurt, missed a bunch of time. But 2017, he was RB9. Last year with RB7. Uh, this is, again, on PPR. I, I feel like, you know, Fournette isn't just going to totally fall out. I, I think he's going to get still, you know, close to 300 touches, if not more than that, if he stays relevant somehow in that receiving game. I know there's a lot to dislike with his contract situation, which, you know, from a dynasty perspective, fade Fournette every day of the week. I'm, I'm selling him if he's on my roster for anything that I can get uh, because I don't like, you know, his future outlook. But for, for 2020, I actually like Fournette a lot. I think he could end up still getting a ton of receiving work. I think he'll be the first and second down guy. He's going to be their goal line back. They're not going to give it to Armstead or Thompson on the goal line. And so for a guy that I'm getting here at, the RB16, that's actually right where I think he should be. And, and there's question marks for all these names there. And you're, if you feel safe with that Le'Veon Bell workload, you know, and again, it's another situation where it's like he's going to be inefficient. Um, he'll get, you know, some some extra touches here and there, but it's going to be consistent touches. And when we're looking at the running back position, that's one of the biggest things that I circle is, are, is this guy going to get the volume? Am I going to rely on this guy to take you to the house, you know, once a, a week for him to be fantasy relevant? And I don't see Fournette as that type of guy. I think he's a shoe in for close to 20 carries a week, you know, 15 plus in a worst case scenario. And yes, the Jags, I think are going to be bad, but um, I, I'm still not ready to fade Fournette, just throw him out at that RB16. I think he's kind of the last one in that tier of, you know, Todd Gurley, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like another one with question marks, but I would take him over Le'Veon Bell just because I think there's there's going to be uh, that same level of consistent volume. I still think the pass work will be there to a degree, definitely not as much as last season. But, I mean, we're talking about a guy here that you know, was handling 87% of the carries, 19% of the targets in 2019, he finished no lower than seventh amongst running backs in carries, targets, receptions, touches, yards, and fantasy points. And he had a lot of bad touchdown luck as well. Only three touchdowns. And if you remember, there was one play, I think it was against the Chargers, where literally he got into the end zone and they called it back. They just waved off the ball because he lost forward momentum for like two seconds. 
Uh, it was such an egregious play. I, I hate that that happened for Fournette, but um, I see that improving a little bit. You know, maybe give him five or six touchdowns. Uh, again, I see what you're saying, but that's why he's at RB16. I feel okay taking him there. Fair points there, for sure. Fair points there, for sure. I think the problem for me is there there is that tier of Gurley, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Fournette. It's kind of in between for me. Like I talked about Chris Carson earlier. I still would take Fournette over Chris Carson, but there is that tier of like, Fournette is the in-between guy, and then it's like right. Carson Bell, Melvin Gordon. And every time I find myself decide, like if Fournette is that top running back on the board, I look at the receivers that are available, and it's guys like Odell Beckham. It's Adam Thielen, Amari Cooper. And I just feel so much better about locking in one of those elite receivers than taking the risk in Leonard Fournette. So in that situation, even if the running backs aren't on the board around his ADP, I look at the receiver spot, and there's so much depth there this season. I'm happy to take an Amari Cooper or an Adam Thielen over Leonard Fournette. So fair points there, but for me, like I'm probably not going to get a ton of Fournette this year unless he happens to fall around or two below um, where he's currently going. That's fair, and I know I know a lot of people are fading Fournette for, for all those reasons. Um, it's just for me one of those. I need to see it to believe it. Let me talk about my last ADP fade of 2020. It's another running back, and you know how bullish we've been on Ronald Jones, we got a fantasy film room coming out from Alex, a fantastic breakdown of Ronald Jones' usage last year. And part of that Ronald Jones hype for us is the fade here, especially for me on, on Keyshawn Vaughn at RB34. You know, <laughs> I love this pick. I love R- this RB34 pick. is just, Thank you. I mean, look, you're this is mid rounds. Um, you know, you're talking sixth, seventh round, but even then, I'm not pulling the trigger on Vaughn when there's other names there. He's in a three-man committee with Ronald Jones and Daria Gumbawale. Jones should be the alpha back. We've talked about his improvement last year, uh, his efficiency in the red zone. He scored on six of his 10 attempts on the ground inside the 10. He was two for two inside the five. Peyton Barber leaves as the other power back in Tampa. He vacates 154 attempts and a reception or two a game. Reports are positive right now about Rojo putting on a bunch of muscle, which tells me that he is making it a priority to improve as a pass blocker so he can stay on the field. And we know check down Charlie extraordinaire. Tom Brady is in town in Tampa, so there will be a big bump in receiving work for these running backs. Brady could easily throw 100 targets to running backs next year. He's averaged 130 a year over the last five seasons. But even then, that doesn't get me all too excited about Keyshawn Vaughn. In college, Jones was just as efficient as Vaughn through the air. Rojo actually had more yards per reception. They were both at around 10. uh, And they both scored only three touchdowns for the air in college. Jones had 31 receptions last year. I expect that to go up. Dara Goombawale is still there, and he's going to get more, I think, than the 46 targets he got last year. Uh, and he was already the third down specialist prior to Keyshawn Vaughn coming in. He's already been practicing with Tom Brady. And there's this narrative that, you know, I am kind of letting go of at this point, which is that Bruce Arians doesn't like to utilize rookies. But, you know, I look at, at Vaughn and that third round draft capital, that that does to me doesn't seem very exciting. The average... Uh, stat line um, and, and fantasy finish for a third round running back over the last seven seasons is 199 carries, 20 receptions. Is it really 199 carries? That seems like a lot for third round running backs. It is, but you got to think of some of the names that are in there. There are some super high outliers. I believe Kareem, Kareem Hunt. Hunt was one yeah. of those. Yeah. So, I mean, you got some outliers in there, but I mean, on average, they finish as the RB54, only finishing as an RB2 18% of the time, an RB3 32% of the time, and 50% of the time they finish as an RB4. So it's a 50-50 shot here that you're getting an RB4 and you're drafting them at the RB3 values. 
the chances of you hitting on Vaughn are just so low to me. I'd be so much happier grabbing the other backs at or above their ADP, uh, like Ronald Jones and Agumba Wale, and not taking the risk on Vaughn there. It's just, you know, I I do like Vaughn. I think there's, you know, a world where he is, you know, great and he can take over some of that James White type of role, but I don't think he's getting the goal line touches and I don't think he's going to have the carry volume to be extremely relevant. I look at his college tape and there are some some red flags there as well. I'm not going to get into, you know, the whole scout report, but Vaughn, there's a reason he was taking the third round behind all these other names that are there. And, and so for all of those reasons, I'm just fading him at that RB34 Give me Ronald Jones there every day of the week. Jones is almost creeping into to RB2 range for me. I don't know he is for you too. Yeah, dude, I'm so glad you brought this up. Like, I I just don't understand why Keyshawn Vaughn is going ahead of or in the same round as Ronald Jones in all these drafts. I don't know why people think Keyshawn Vaughn is just going to come in and supplant Ronald Jones in this offense. And I'm going to drop this film room. It should be out here in the past couple of days if you go back on our YouTube and check. And Ronald Jones is a very, very good player. I watched his film last season, and it seems like last year he was an unwatched highlight reel. And my draw dropped on several occasions with some of the runs that Ronald Jones made in this offense last season. Yes, there's a lot to clean up. He needs to be a little bit more consistent. But Ronald Jones is a good player. And Keyshawn Vaughn, we knew the Buccaneers were going to bring in a running back in some way, shape, or form. And with Peyton Barber leaving, they just needed depth at the position. The only other guy they had was Daria Gumbawale, who is pretty much primarily a special teamer that happens to be effective in the receiving game as well. So they needed another body in this room and they don't address it in free agency. So we know, honestly, if they hadn't drafted Vaughn, I think they would have been a top contender to bring in like a Devontae Freeman or we saw Carlos Hyde signed to Seattle. like Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller, yeah. Those are the types of guys that I would have not been surprised to see go to Tampa if they hadn't brought in more depth at the position. So Keyshawn Vaughn, a third round running back, when they just need depth, like they did not draft this guy to change their franchise and be their starter. They drafted him for depth at the position as a backup. He is not better than anyone on this team in anything. Like he's not as good of a goal line back as Ronald <laughs> Jones. He's not as good of a receiver as Dari Gumbawale. He's quite frankly not much better of a receiver than Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones, they set up a lot of screens for him last season. He was actually fairly effective getting out of the backfield, uh, being a dump down option for Jameis Winston when he needed him. Um, So Ronald Jones had a better receiving year than people thought last season. They set up plays for Jones in the receiving game. So I don't know where all this hype came from with Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, I think he's going to come in and be an effective player. I hope he is. But I see this as a 70-30 split, maybe 65-35 at the best for Keyshawn Vaughn. That workload is not enough. I do not see him supplanting Ronald Jones this year unless Ronald Jones gets hurt. So, look, I, I'm so glad you brought this up, Steph. I'm actually hyped right now. I'm going to have to go <laughs> in and move Ronald Jones even farther up my rankings. I have him as a top 20 running back right now. I am all aboard wow. the Ronald Jones hype train. Um, so I think Keyshawn Vaughn will have value as a handcuff. I, I think of him almost as like a – you know, like a Marlon Mack. So he's not like the sexiest pick for fantasy football. There might be weeks where he gets you 8 to 12 fantasy points. He'll have some standalone value, um, but he's not going to just take over this backfield. And I think maybe like a Zach Moss is a better example. Another guy in the third round, we expect Moss to be involved. But no, like Moss is a third rounder and Singletary was a third rounder last year. No one's talking about Zach Moss taking over the Buffalo backfield. I don't know why exactly. people think Vaughn is going to walk into this job. So I, I love this pick. I'm not drafting Keyshawn Vaughn anywhere. Give me Ronald Jones all day. Yeah, I'm not on this Vaughn hype train at all, and I'm all aboard this Rojo hype train. So 
I'm excited to see what happens in this this Bucks team. There's so many question marks. Like I thought about putting Gronk here as an ADP fade, but at the same time, like you really think about it, it's like, well, who knows? Maybe he comes back and the the Brady <laughs> rapport continues. So. Uh, there's a lot to like. Hopefully, we get everything we want out of this season, so we can see this Tom Brady, uh, you know, see Tampa Bay in in full action here. Oh uh, Alex, I think that checks all the boxes for us for our ADP fades. Anything else to add here? Let's see. What else do I want to add on today's show, guys? If you're enjoying the show, please go to our YouTube channel, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button on this video. We're doing some awesome stuff on there. Not only do we have pods coming out every week. We've got mock drafts getting you ready for the season. We've got the fantasy film, room, film rooms we referred to on this podcast several times. So we got all sorts of awesome content going out on our channel. Hit that subscribe button if you want to win your league. We are here to help you win all season long. Thank you all so much for listening and watching, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Draft Ronald Jones. <laughs> Everybody, draft Ronald Jones, unless you're in my league.